Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Today we continue our series entitled Shift. In this series, we will dive into God's Word and find a way to use the Holy Spirit to the maximum in our lives. And now with the next sermon in the series, lead Pastor Rex Johnson. Now, we're talking about shift. Go ahead and put it up, sister. We're talking about shift. Now, let, let me give you another carnal example of a shift. Sunday in Seattle. Now, if you're a Packer fan, that was an unholy shift. But if you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, that's a shift. It happened. How does a quarterback throw four interceptions down 16 to nothing and find a way to win in the last minutes in overtime? How does it happen? They kept doing the same thing, but with a different effort. And it works. They believed, they believed, they received, and they believed, and they thought they knew they could win, and they did. And if we could get that kind of mindset in the house of God, I'm telling you, there is nothing that God could not accomplish. I've written three words, I've written three words over here that is not in my notes over here. When I get to the end of this message, I'm going to make you get out a pen and write some things. I've got a lot of stuff to go on the board tonight, but I, I want you to write some things. I just... I just, I'm just going to give you three avenues that I think a shift can come into your life. And I did not put them in my notes, and I did it on purpose because I want you to write it. I want you to write it down. I trust I can be effective here tonight to you folks. Sunday morning, we're starting a beautiful brand-new series on Sunday. We're excited about it, and uh, I'm very thrilled. I, I think this year is starting to take shape. Uh, the reason that I, I sometimes preach so passionately at the first of the year is because, and, and, and let, me just, let me just talk to you, we kind of veg out during the holidays. Am I right? It's just, it's just common. It's normal. We kind of veg out. We eat too much pumpkin pie. We eat too much chocolate pie. We eat too much pecan pie. We eat way too much turkey, and that tryptophan just makes us go, and you know what I'm saying. And we veg out. And when we, when we get a little air in our stomach, we go get a little more. And that's the way it is. We don't do it any other time except the holidays. And so we come back after the first of the year, and, and you know, and, and all we've been doing, really, all we've been doing on our days off is, is uh, either talking to our family or watching football because that's all that's on TV is football. It's football. It's 87 bowl games, you know, and I like football. If you, if you, if you hadn't had enough football yet, boy, I hope they have football in heaven because this year was unbelievable, even adding two teams to the playoff and all that stuff. And I, I'm, a, I'm a very in-tune pastor, and I know, I know what happens. And so, you know, I, I know where my room is. <laughs> I know where my room is. And so, uh, you know, I, I don't have to have anybody there with me. I can, I can enjoy the San Antonio Spurs by myself. I don't have to have anybody there with me. And, and, and so we kind of veg out. And then the first of the year comes around, and sometimes we, we're, we're a little heavy. Pardon the expression, a little heavy with our weight, a little heavy with our spirit. And uh, we have to be, be kind of preached up. We have to be preached to a, a level that God wants us to take us. And I believe with all my heart that the Lord is helping us in the services that we've had thus far. And I want to continue to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ to you. In this shift series, I'm very, very much enjoying it. I thought I'd run out of things to say by now, but I haven't. And so let's talk a little more. 
I love Wednesday nights at CLC. Do you love Wednesday nights at CLC? I think they're awesome. Great spirit. Everybody say great spirit. Everybody say great heart. Everybody say great worship. Thank you, Randy and the praise team. Didn't they do good? One church. One church meeting together for a common purpose. The book of Acts church had all things common. Everybody say all things. They were baptized by the same spirit and they moved forward together. We had a staff getaway toward the end of last year and uh, it was really a planning session, but really it was more talks about life and about progress and about future and about things that we want God to accomplish in our lives plus the lives of people in the church. And we all left there excited. And I'm still excited because I feel that this is going to be the year of ambition. This is going to be the year. It's the saint's year of ambition. If you want it, God has it for you. If you want it, God has it for you. Now, I know I talked about the Chinese calendar being the year of the sheep. And it is the year of the, of the ambitious child of God. And so God wants you to get ambitious about things in your life. We're not only in a series about shift. We're in a season of shift in our, in our church and as a church. New renovations, there's a new look, there's new dreams, same God, same message, but our student ministry next door is flourishing. It really, really is. And our kids' ministry is getting a huge, huge facelift in the next couple of weeks, and you're going to walk in there thinking that you have walked into a brand new sparkling place because our kids' ministry is going to get a beautiful facelift. Thank God for kids' ministry in this church. Thank God for kids' ministry in this church. Amen. So in in this series of shift, the first thing we talked about, we talked about divine shifts. We talked about raising awareness of holy shifts. We're talking about heaven-initiated shifts, shifts that bring answers to prayer, shifts that open up doors of opportunity, shifts that bring provision, and shifts that bring healing and restoration and special delivery into our lives. And then in the second week, when we listen for God and allow God to make a shift in us, it's not just heaven initiated, but it shifts in us, in our attitudes, in our routines, in our perspective, and in our choices. God is then able to shift things through us, you with me, and for us, for us. I did a research years ago. There was a superconductor built in in Waxahachie. Texas several years ago. It, it grows nothing but mushrooms now. But, but uh, I, I got to study it on superconductors. And super, superconductors are materials that at temperatures need near absolute zero, listen to me now, exhibit no electrical resistance, none. This means that it takes very little energy to induce an electrical current in them. A single photon will do the trick. What I'm saying simply is this. That we are talking about a God that cannot get more powerful than omnipotent. You can't get better than that. Somebody say, God, give me more of your power. No, he can't give you more of his power. He has the power. He is the power. Give me more of your mind. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is all omni. He's all. Amen. But what I think that shift in these last two lessons is going to be about is simply this. It's not having more of a powerful God. It's reducing the resistance 
that's in me, that a single beam of light from the word of God, one photon, hallelujah, touching my spirit will do things for me that a whole brouhaha of things in the past hasn't done for me. Because when I reduce the resistance in my soul, I realize that God is mighty and he is awesome and he is splendid and he is great. In Judges chapter 7, the army of the Midianites came against the Israelites and they were stealing, they were stealing the crops. Those men were in a, uh, Gideon was in a cave. He was in a cave threshing wheat because he was trying to hide from the Midianites. And the Bible uses this phrase about them in the, in the, in the message version. It said there, uh, the Amalek and all the Easterners were spread out on a plain like a swarm of locusts. And their camels were past counting like grains of sand on the seashore. And Gideon had 32,000 men. And God said, I need to shift you a little bit. That's too many. You got too many. I want you to send everybody that is fearful home right now. Anybody that thinks they're going to get beat, I want you to send them home. And 22,000 said, I think I'll go to mama. And they went home. And 10,000 were left. And God said, I'm not through shifting you yet. I'm going to shift you another time. You still have too many. I want you to take them down to the water. I want you to watch them drink. And those that lap like a dog, I want them to stay. And those that do not, I want them to go home. And he got down to 300 men and God said, that's good. That's good. Now you're ready. Now you're ready. Sometimes when we see the decreasingness of God instead of the increase of God, we think that God's against us. But sometimes God's got to get some resistance. Oh, my, 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 my. I feel the Holy Ghost right now. He's got to get some resistance out of your life so he can get you down where he can bless you with one ray of light from the Word of God and from the Holy Spirit. And then he said, okay, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you all a trumpet. I'm going to give you all a, a lamp and a picture. And I'm going to take 100 men. We'll put another hundred men over here, another hundred men over here. He broke them up into three companies. And he said, when you hear us blow the horn, I want you to blow the horn and we'll all break our pitchers and we're going to blow the horn and let the, let the light shine. And when they did that, the Bible said that the Midianites in the valley, they were like locusts. Their camels were past counting. They was like grains of sand on the seashore. But they started destroying one another. They started taking one another out. Because God had to get resistance out of the people of God because it's not always about numbers. It's not always about numbers. It's about people letting God put them on a holy shift and cause them to be responding to the Holy Ghost so that Almighty God, who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is all-present, can come into your life and do a job for you for Him. Amen? Another be- I'm just getting started. I'm just warming up. But another beautiful story in the Bible is in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It's a man, a king by the name of Jehoshaphat. I, I think it's one of the neatest stories that hardly ever gets preached, but it's a neat story. And in this story, Jehoshaphat is going out against the children of Amnon, children of Moab. Now, you know who those kids were. They were ancestral children of, of Lot. It was Lot's oldest daughter, 
was the Moabites, and Lot's youngest daughter was the Ammonites. And they were haters. They hated the people of God. They literally hated the people of God. And then there was the children of Mount Seir. And they meaned, they, their names means the shaggy ones. They were wicked. They were shaggy. They had big old, big old fighting scars. And they were mean looking. And they didn't have good teeth. And, <laughs> and so Jehoshaphat goes and he prays all night in the house of God. And he gets up the next morning and God's given him a plan. He said, I'm going to get a little, I'm going to put a little shift on you, Jehoshaphat. Not only for you, but for the people you're fixing to fight. You know who I want to lead this army? I want you to get some singers. What? I want some singers. Oh, God, God. You don't realize that's Ammon, that's Moab, and that's the children of Mount Seir. That's the enemy of God, a bigger enemy of God, and the shaggy ones. And you want us to go out with singers? You want singers? Jehoshaphat, I want them to go out and sing. I'm going to put a divine shift on you. My, my, my. And they went out singing, bless the Lord or praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. That's all they sang, one verse, just one verse. If we sung that here four or five times, you folks say, Randy, sing some other line. That's all I, that's, but all they sang that day was praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. And they walked into the battle. And the Bible said, God said ambushments. Oh, I love this. It's amazing what God can do when you let God bring a shift in your thinking. It's amazing what God can do when you think it's not going to be the same way. God's got some great ways to bless this church. He's got some great ways to bless your family. And don't think it's going to just be because you've got it figured out. You don't have God figured out. His ways are above your ways. His ways are above finding out. But oh, I tell you, God is bringing a holy shift to Christian life church and to your life. I've had people walk in the door all night tonight and they've just been telling me about these shifts that God's been giving them and God has. He'll give a shift to you. He will, he will absolutely. Pastor, things are happening in our home since you started talking on this. Because here, Here's what I believe. The Bible said if you cast your bread, if you cast your bread, are you with me? Say cast your bread, cast bread. on the water and it will come back to you after many days. It will come back. Everybody say it will come back. It will come back because the tide not only goes out, it comes in. The tide not only goes out, it comes in. And if you'll get a hold of the word of God, if you'll let God's word get a hold of you, there's some tides fixing to turn around in your life. There's never two tides out for one tide in. There's always a tide in forever tied out. And God's fixing to reverse the tide in your life. Come on. There's a shift coming. There's a shift coming. There's a shift coming in your life. So, I'm going to read a scripture now. Luke chapter 5 in the message. It's on the screen. I love this, the message version. Same scripture I read last week, different version. Once when he was standing on the shore, this speaking of Jesus of Lake Gennesaret, the crowd was pushing in on him to better hear the word of God. And he noticed two boats tied up. The fishermen had just left them and were out scrubbing their nets. And he climbed into the boat that was Simon Peter's and asked him to put out a little from the shore. Sitting there using the boat for a pulpit, he taught the crowd. That's a shift. That's a shift. And when he finished teaching, 
He said to Simon, shift, here it comes, push out into deep water and let your nets out for a catch. And Simon said, Master, we've been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, shift, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done, shift, a huge haul of fish, straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in other boat in another boat to come and help them. And they filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. I love that word, swamping. God needs a swamp, some of y'all. There's things fixing to come into your life. Clap your hands and say, I'm going to receive that in the name of the Lord. And then in John 21, let's read this verse. Let's go here. John 21. John 21, the message. After this. Jesus appeared again to the disciples. This is after his resurrection, this time at the Tiberias Sea or the Sea of Galilee. This is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed twin, Nathaniel from Canaan, Galilee, the brothers of Zebedee, James and John, and two other disciples, that's me and you, were together. And Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. You know why he was going fishing? Because he's disappointed because Jesus hadn't showed up since he showed up. And they hadn't seen him in a long time. And the rest of them replied, we're going with you. And they went out and got in the boat, and they caught nothing all night. And when the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. And Jesus spoke to them, good morning. Did you catch anything for breakfast? And they answered, no. And he said, watch this now, throw your nets on the right side of the boat. Evidently, they'd been fishing on the left side. Now watch this, watch this, you got to get this. Throw your nets on the right side of the boat. So they had to pull the nets up and shift. And go to the other side of the boat and throw their nets in the same water. Same net, same water, different side of the boat. To shift. They did that. They did what he said. Shift and all of a sudden shift. There were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Seven men couldn't pull it in. That's including me and you. Because those two unnamed disciples can be us, okay? Because some of us have been disappointed with things in our life. And we've been disappointed because God hadn't done some things in our life. And we've been fishing all night and hadn't caught anything. But Pete should have known when Jesus showed up on the shore, he fixed to catch some fish. He'd already done it before. Here's what I want to tell you now. Here's what I want to tell you. There's sometimes. That all God needs in your life is just a turnaround. All God needs, are you with me? Is just a turnaround. He don't mind, He don't want you changing nets. He don't want you getting out of the boat. He don't want you getting in another body of water. He just wants you to have a turnaround. Because sometimes it's important to understand that when God says cast on the other side, He means what He says. And when you are battled all your life and all your life and all your life, say, I'm going to do it my way. Why don't you surrender one morning? Why don't you surrender one day and say, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to go to the other side of the boat and I'm going to see what God can do with my life. It's time to quit pushing back against God because God has a plan for your life that's greater than you could ever imagine tonight. I'm talking to young people right now. God's got a fabulous plan for your life. Well, pastor, I'm not married. Big deal. Big deal. Maybe God don't want you to be with that loser. Maybe on the other side, there's a winner. 
Maybe God. Well, Pastor, you know, we can't have children. Well, I'm so sorry. But that don't mean you're not going to have them. Hang in there. This, this life's not over. Cash your net on the other side of the boat. See what God can do for you. I'm telling you, it's so simple what I'm preaching. But I believe the power of what I'm preaching is receiving the word of God with faith in your heart. And letting the word have seed bed in your heart. And letting the word grow in your heart. And seeing what God can do with your heart. Amen. Now, let, 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 me, let me preach a little bit. So, we're talking about shifts. Here's what I'd like to ask you to ask yourself. What shifts does God want to make in me? Anybody want to anybody chance that question in your own mind? I don't want you to answer out loud. But is there anything that you think God might want to make a shift in you about? Do you have a little temper? Well, that's just the Irish in me. Indians say that's just the Indian in me. You know, I'm from the Comanche tribe. That's just the way we are. I was with an old boy the other day. He said, I'm an Irishman. I'm an Irish Catholic. That's why I cuss. Oh, really? Oh, so that's what Irish Catholics do. Thank you. Is there anything in your life is there, how about some fear in your life? Come on, I'm just preaching now. Is there any fear? Is there any intrepidation? Is there anything that would cause you to shrink back from God saying, I've got something big for you in your life? Is there anything that would make you shrink back and say, not me, God. It can't happen to me. It can happen to you. What shift does God want to make through me? Does, any, does God want to do something through me? Does God want to make me a soul winner? Does God want me to do something for my community? Does God want me to start evangelizing some in my, in my neighborhood? Does God want me to start having some house meetings with people that are not saved in my neighborhood? Having yard, having yard parties and not serving alcohol? Does God want me to do that kind of stuff? Because you know what? There's no telling what God wants to do in you and no telling what God wants to do through you. And what shift does God want to make for me? How many believe God's for you? How many believe God's for you? (laughs) That's what I want to talk about tonight. Holy shifts in you, through you, and for you. Okay, here's here's the first thing I want to say. Jesus did not want them, the fishermen, to do something different than they were doing. But he wanted them to do it in a different way. All right? Here's what I want to tell you. If you have to deflate the football to hold it better. Oh, you heard about it. Win the game. Win the game. God wants you to win this thing. Well, I'm fixed to preach now. God don't make junk. You are a winner. You are a winner. You are somebody. The secret's out and you count. You matter. Come on, put your hand here and say, he's talking to me right now. You do matter. And some people don't have a problem with, with, with inferiority. But there's a lot of people in this church that have an inferiority. And I'm ready to you to get beside that. I'm ready for you to step beside it and say no more. I'm not going to live in that world no more. I'm going to have a shift in my life. I'm going to keep doing the same thing. But I'm going to do it with a different attitude. 
I'm not going to go crazy. I'm not going to color my hair green. I'm not going to put a big X on top of my head and say, wow, I'm different. It's not that kind. It's just understanding that you are somebody in the kingdom of God. Say, help me. Help me, Pastor. Before you assume that a shift, that the shift you need to make is major like a career change or like divorcing your spouse or like move to another city, it may mean doing what you already are doing but doing it in a brand new way. Sometimes what we're doing is the right thing. I'm not preaching that you're doing the wrong thing. But a shift in how we do it brings different results. So when God wants us to do, to do something for us or through us, he usually has to begin in us. For instance, there was a day that God had to change my preaching tactics. When I was a young preacher, I took a breath about every 45 seconds. Oh, I said some good stuff. I think. I said it so fast I didn't even understand it myself sometimes. It's kind of like writing your own letter and you can't read your letter. You know what I'm saying? But God taught me a different way. And he taught me how to communicate. He taught me. Now, I don't know how good I'm doing. But you sure would like this product better than you wanted the one I used to be. Because I used to be this kind of preacher. You know, I'd get out here and I'd, I'm going to talk to you now. I'd get out here like this and I'd be, I'd be going nuts and like preaching, preaching. I'd climb up on the pew, you know. Somehow, somehow I thought that was the only way to preach because that's how I saw people preach. So I was going to preach like them. And God said, you know what? I, I like your passion. I love your fervor. I love your fire. But can you just fish over here a little bit? You know, sometimes God has to do something in us before God can do something through us. And I'm talking to you now. I'm speaking to you. So deep water equals safe to assume he's specific on a different approach. He said, launch out into the deep. It suggests going out further. Ships in the harbor are safe, but that's not what ships are made for. You've got to put your net down on the other side. You've got to change your methodology, the approach to what you've been doing. Thomas Edison said, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. And it's true. And I want to, I want to say this to people Oh, God, to people that have a hard time making friends. You're a kind soul. There's not a, there's not a bad soul in this church tonight. And I don't preach to bad souls on Sunday. Everybody's great. But the reason you don't have friends is because you need to turn around and start being friendly. It's called a shift. Well, pastor, that's just not my style. Change your style. How many remember when hairdos were up here? Oh, God, I'm getting on standards now, aren't I? How many remember that? And they put them, them, them oatmeal boxes in there and them rat things in there. A lot of people called it bondage. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You remember that? I still see those every now and then. Thank God they're at plays or something, you know. 
But women would walk in, they'd look like Queen Aster or something. And you said, you know, this is what I'll be the rest of my life. No, it's not. No, it won't be. Now look at you. Look at you now. Look at you. You look in the mirror and you got that little curl. You got that little color on your hair. You flip it now. You know what I'm saying? You do that with that head of hair and it'll take you down. It's called a shift. I'm just trying to be practical. I'm trying to preach practical. But sometimes you've got to make a shift. It's not, it's not doing something different. It's just doing it a different way. I'm not trying to get you to backslide and start doing a bunch of sinning. No, 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 no. God just wants you to have a different manner in doing the same thing that you've always been doing. Your worship. Let's talk about your worship just a minute. You can't worship mad. You might as well not even worship. God, I'm so fed up with people. I need you to bless me tonight. God can't do you like you want to be done. Oh, I'm getting goofy here tonight preaching, but I feel it. Why don't you put a smile on your face and do the same kind of worshiping and say, God, I need you in my life. I'm proud to be your child. It's worship, but it's casting your net on the other side of the boat. Well, I sure like to have a new job, Pastor. Really? Well, how you been doing on your screens and all your interviews? Well, you know, I tell them if there was a last in line, that'd be me. I'm a hard worker, but you know, there's probably other people a lot better. You know what a man told a General Motors executive one day? He said, my name's Eddie. I'm here to apply for the job. And I just decided I'm going to go to work here today. Just all in one sentence. And the guy said, I hadn't hired you. He said, oh, but you will. Because tomorrow I'm going to come to work. And he said, if I don't do good, then you can fire me. He said, I hadn't even hired you. But I'm coming to work tomorrow. Are you getting the gist of what I'm trying to preach? It's not, it's not just worship. It's how you worship. It's not just looking for a job. It's how you look for a job. God wants to bring some shifts in your life. I'm trying to be practical here tonight teaching. I'm not, I'm not trying to be real deep and spiritual right now. I'm just trying to show you that God wants you to have the very, very best. Everybody that believes that God made a winner in your life, stand on your feet right now and say, He did. Come on. He did. That's it. He did. He did. Come on. Come on. I'm not trying to get you emotional. I'm just telling you, God makes winners. God makes, you can be seated. You can be seated. Besides, you needed a little break because I've been real boring tonight so far. Now, now, doing the same thing with a fresh perspective creates different results. You should have at least one friend in your life who makes you feel uncomfortable. 
You don't need everybody saying, ooh, you're so gorgeous and you're so handsome. And, mm-hmm. You've got so many muscles. And you throw a good deflated ball. You don't need that. You need somebody because you need somebody that's smarter. You need somebody who is physically better than you. And their marriage is better. And they can help you. Have you become comfortable with small, safe prayers? If so, maybe it's time to, A, pray bigger prayers. Say, pray bigger prayers. prayers. Two and a half years ago, we did a series here called Audacious Faith. You remember it? Don't seem like it's been that long, but it was in the summer of 2012 we did that series. And uh, we talked about sun-stopping faith. Joshua said, sun, stand still. He prayed so wrong because the sun don't ever move anyhow. Everything revolves around it. But he prayed, sun, stand still, and the sun did not move for a space of about a day. He said, move, stop over the valley of Agilon. You stop right there too. He stopped the moon. He didn't want the moon moving if the sun wasn't going to move. Maybe God brought you where you are in your prayers, but now he's nudging you to pray bigger prayers. You've been praying, but a shift in your approach may open a door for big things God has planned. It may be time for you to give yourself permission to pray big-time prayers in your life. All right, you ready? What's wrong with us praying for a church to have 4,000 people here on Easter Sunday? Are we hurting God? Are we hurting us? Who are we hurting to do that? That's very possible because last year we had well over 3,000, about 3,300 people here in the three services. Why can't we just say, God, you can give us 4,000 plus this year at Easter? Why can't we do that? Why can't we say, why can't we pray, God, I want to win a whole family to you this year? Why don't we pray, God, you know, I've been eyeing that new car and I don't have any money. But I sure have good credit or whatever. Dave Ramsey wouldn't like this. But God, I think you can provide my family a new vehicle to come to the house of the Lord. I think you can provide us money, Lord, to fix our house up. Why don't we start praying some big time prayers? Why don't we start praying for cancers in this church again? Why don't we start praying for heart conditions in this church again? Why don't we start praying that God can heal broken backs and God can heal all kinds of people walking on crutches? Why can't we start praying those kind of prayers again? Why can't we pray sun-stopping prayers again in our lives? The Bible said that Satan wants to wear out the saints of the Most High God. He wants to just wear you out. He's not coming and fighting you fiercely. He wants to wear you down so that you'll believe less and less and less that God's able to do. But I'm telling you, it's time for us to have a shift in our thinking and say, God, it's time to pray some big-time prayers in my life right now. I'm ready to pray some big prayers. You want to pray some big prayers? Clap your hands all over the house and say, I'm going to pray some big prayers. I'm going to pray some big prayers in my life. When I pray big prayers, I'm not talking about long prayers or eloquent prayers, but rather I'm referring to uninhibited, confident, and bold prayers. Things that are impossible for man. Salvation for your family. Salvation for your friends. Prayers for increase and prosperity in your life. Praying prayers of faith and vision. Things that are impossible with man are possible with
almost finished. Almost. We've become comfortable with current reality that you know is far less than what God has for you. If so, maybe it's time to be, remind God of his promises. I hadn't preached this in a long time. I want to, let, let's remind God of his promises. Let's don't remind God of our problems. Let's remind God of his promises. One of the most powerful ways to pray is to find a promise in the scripture and pray the promise. Stay with me now. Isaiah 62 and 6 in the message says this. Put God in remembrance of his promises. Hey, God. Hey, God, you remember when you promised me? I'm going to remind you. But God don't need reminding. Yeah, but you need to remind him. Because he might have thought you forgot it. Remind him. Remind him. Don't put him in remembrance of your problems, but a promise. God said, God, you said you would provide all my needs. God, you said no weapon formed against me would prosper. God, you said with long life you would satisfy me. God, you said your favor lasts a lifetime. It's time for us to start praying some promises and telling God to remember some promises that he has given us. The Lord spoke to me when I was a young man, and I hadn't talked about this in 25 years, that I would be preaching the day he took me home. That don't mean I would be a preacher. That means I would be preaching. And I got, I got afraid to remind God of that. But if I'm 95... And don't have any teeth left. I want to be preaching this gospel. When he takes me home. But I want to also tell you this. That he said I'm going to take everybody. We're going to all go together. I had a vision one time when I was 25 years old. 25 years old that I was preaching. And the Lord came and we all went home. I wish I could describe it to you. I just thought I'd remind God of that today. Just in case he don't recognize me and wants to take me home earlier. I want to take a church home to be with Jesus. Amen. I want to take a church home to be with the Lord. Remind God of his promises. Acts 27, Paul said, keep your courage. Keep your courage. I know we're in a storm. But an angel stood by me this night and everything's going to be all right. We're go- the boat's going to be destroyed, but we're all going to be saved. And they were. Romans 4, Paul talked about Abraham, said against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Just as it had been said of him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. She was 90. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. God credited his faith to him as righteousness. Have you become comfortable with a no-risk form of faith?
If so, maybe it's time, and I close tonight, to have some uncommon faith. Everybody say uncommon faith. Uncommon valor. Audacious faith, radical faith. Faith that just absolutely will not take no for an answer. I've learned that uncommon faith produces uncommon results. See, here's the difference in common and uncommon. Common faith says, God, help me survive this situation. Uncommon faith says, God, turn this situation around and prosper me in the middle of all this and bring me out to a new level. Which kind of faith do you want, common or uncommon? I want uncommon faith. One man said it this way, and I quote, It is dangerous business to arrive in eternity with possibilities which one himself has prevented from becoming actualities. Possibility is a hint from God. A person must follow it. If God does not want it, then let him hinder it. The person must not hinder it himself. That's what we're talking about tonight. Does it bother you to think your life might slip by without seeing God show himself mightily on your behalf? So I wrote three little things down. I want you to get a pen out, and I'm going to give them to you real quick. Real quick. Three ways to start doing things differently. Three things to come into your life to have a shift. Are you ready? Number one. Number one. A man sat in my office today, crying, weeping, former member of this church, no longer here, has moved a long way off, came by to see me today as his old pastor. Started talking to me. Started saying, why, 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 why is all this, why is all this, why is all this? And a word hit me. A word just hit me while he was talking. Just hit me. And I'm normally not like this. I'm normally very practical. But a word hit me. And I felt very, very spiritual to him. And I said, I have a word I want to share with you. It's called forgiveness. And when I said it, he started weeping uncontrollably said forgiveness I don't know who I don't know where I don't know what but you got to forgive the greatest thing you can do folks the great hear me are you with me hear me the greatest thing you can do is forgive you're more like Jesus Christ when you forgive when you start forgiving stay with me now when you start forgiving all of a sudden you start doing things a new way a new attitude a new path. Everybody say forgive. It washes you. It makes you feel as new as a newborn baby. Forgiveness. The second thing that I want to ter- share with you tonight is simply this, acceptance. Here's, here's the situation. Here's the situation. A lot of people think that giving love out is the greatest thing you can do Besides forgiveness, it's not. Forgiving love out, many times people think I'm going to give, and if I give enough love, I'll be happy. No. You've got to open up your heart and accept the love of God. People think, well, I love, I love, I love. No, 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 no. You've got to accept the love of God. If you don't accept the love of God, you'll stay in the same rut that you've been in for the last 10 years. John got it when he said, I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. And he got the revelation of Jesus Christ because he understood how to accept the love of God. 
Some of you need to accept the love of a pastor that cares for your soul enough to study and prepare to bring you a gospel on Wednesday night and on Sunday. Some of you need to prepare and open up your heart to saints in this church that have passion and burden for people that are lost. Some of you need to open up your spirit. It's not how much I give. It's how much I can receive. Oh, I could preach a whole sermon on this. You got to receive it. You got to receive it. You got to receive it. And the third thing you have to do when you forgive and you accept the love of God, you've got to be a worshiper. You got to be a worshiper. Lord, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen, 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 amen. Husband, if you can't forgive your wife, you got to do it right now. Wife, if you're having trouble forgiving your kids, do it right now. Dad and mom, if you're having a problem with that wayward prodigal son, forgive them right now. Wash it away right now. Walk out of this church forgiving people and then accept the love of God that God has for you. You've got to accept it. You've got to accept it. It's not about buying your kids love. It's not about doing things for your kids to show love. You've got to receive love. And you must. You must be a worshiper for any man who is a worshiper, him God heareth. You gotta be a worshiper. Everybody say forgive, accept, and worship. That's what it's all about. It's pretty simple. You wanna shift in your life? Forgive everything you forgive. Forgive them, forgive them, forgive them. Forgive them. You want you want a change in your life? You want to shift? Start accepting what God has done for you on the cross. Start receiving the love of God. It'll clear your mind. It'll clear your sinus. It'll clear everything in you. And then start being a worshiper in the house of God. Come on. Get up every morning worshiping God. Get up every morning worshiping God. Thank you for listening. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. We trust that you enjoyed today's sermon.